Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. It's good to see you guys. Um, man, my name is Austin. I'm a pastor here. Uh, if you weren't here with us last week, it was insane. Okay, let me just tell you, we publicly launched, so our church kind of officially graduated into our public launch season, and uh, it was incredible to see so many people show up. And so if last week was your first week and you're here again this week, let me say welcome. I'm excited you're here. Uh, if you didn't know, we launched with over 700 people that came. Like, it was nuts. Okay, this doesn't... Yeah, praise God. Uh, that doesn't normally happen. That's not like in the guidebook or rule book for church planting. It just is totally unique. And so at the 9 and 11, and we saw even today and this morning, uh, there was like no seats left. So God's providing more people, bringing more people. And it's been fun to see uh, all of us continue to exalt Jesus together and celebrate everything he's done. And so with our public launch, we also kicked off our series in the Gospel of John. So we're going to be studying John this year and going through it. And uh, in John 20, verse 31, John essentially gives his purpose statement for writing this book. He's telling, hey, this is why I wrote it. And so this is what he writes. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so our purpose, this church, for going through this book is the same, that you would see and believe that Jesus is God and, and that he came to save you from your sins, that you would place your faith in him and by believing in him that you would have eternal life. And that would have repercussions in our life that we live now and obviously in our everlasting life because of God's grace. Amen. So that's where we're at this morning in the book of John. But I want to ask, uh, has anyone ever been an MC? Or like a hype man. So just shoot your hand if you've been an MC before. Okay, a couple MCs in the room. Um, now, I firmly believe that if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a telemarketer or a door-to-door -door salesman. Okay, I don't know why. I just think God's gifted me in that way. And so that's just kind of my passion, my dreams, my aspirations for the future. But uh, I'm not that. And so if I wasn't that, uh, I think that I would be an MC. I really do. Not a pastor, not a telemarketer, not a door-to-door -door salesman. I think I'd be—I just named like two things you don't like. And hopefully one of them isn't pastor. But anyways, um, and so—and <laughs> so anyway, I think I'd be an MC. I just do. I love hyping people up. I like getting people— People excited. It's just who I am. It's just in my nature. And, um, and so uh, this is kind of what we're walking into. And when I was in high school, uh, so just last year, uh, you guys are like, wait, is that true? No, it's not true. But some of you thought it. I'm not just, I'm not, only, I'm not a freshman out of college at a high school. So anyways, um, when I was in high school, one of my best friends and I, his name's Colton, uh, we were running around being hoodlums, you know, kind of crazy. And we went to a county fair in Imperial, Nebraska. If you've ever been to Imperial, Nebraska, you'd see that there's a lovely 2,000 people there, okay? So it is just packed with people that know how to party, okay? And uh, so we're there and we're hanging out at this, uh, at this fair. Now McCook, uh, where I grew up, holla if you're from McCook, Couple of little shouts, a little bit. Okay, I thought we kind of had this camaraderie right here, but you guys didn't really show up. There we go, a couple. Uh, so, <laughs> anyways, man, something in the water. But uh, so I'm from McCook. Imperial to McCook is about an hour away, so there wasn't very many people that we knew there. And you know what I mean? You have a freedom when you're around people you're not going to see again to act a little crazy, right? So we took advantage of that. We were going crazy. We're riding rides. We're getting stuffed animals. We're dancing. We're going crazy. And then out of nowhere, uh, we start to hear this like really loud music play. And so we're thinking through, okay, what, you know, what is this? So we go towards the music and we find this massive dance, literally hundreds of people all outside dancing. They're playing. Nelly, 
they got Chingy on there. Chingy's my boy. Okay, and so they're playing all this stuff, 50 Cent. I don't know, all that stuff. So we're dancing. We're like, oh, and obviously my friend and I make it to the center of the dance circle, right? Like we're, that's where we are. So we get to the center. We're hanging out, moving around, dancing, and um, just having a good time. Out of nowhere, he just starts to tap his foot like this. Like there's nothing fancy about the foot tap, but something in me just said, I need to hype people up about that. So I just start chanting Joel, like J-O-L. I don't even know what it was, but I started chanting Joel to every tap he tapped his foot. And I'm kind of doing it. And I look around and here, and there's other people around me. They're starting to chant Joel and watch him. And I'm like, oh, this is catching. Cool. And so I see Joel, 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 we're, we're chanting. And it's getting louder and louder. I look up. I'm not kidding you. Hundreds of people, everyone was all centered in looking at my friend, seeing what he would do. And they're all chanting Joel. They don't know who Joel is. They don't know what he's going to do. All he's doing is tapping his foot. But they got so hyped up. They're, ch- they're chanting Joel at him, right? So my energy is on a whole new level. I'm going crazy. I'm chanting, oh, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be crazy. The incredible Joel. Yeah, like I'm just going, I'm hyping people up. I'm just an MC. I'm, that's who God made me. And so I'm going crazy, hyping people up. And uh, everyone's chanting Joel. And as it, the the Joel chant rises to like a top, you know, like noise. He just starts to break out in the craziest dance you've ever seen in your life. Like he was going completely nuts. And I'm yelling, oh, no, he didn't. You know, everyone's like cheering, still chanting Joel. It never stopped, right? Everyone's chanting Joel, not even his name. And so we're going through and he's chanting. And, he, and, he, and so he's going crazy and he just stops. He just stopped and he kind of gets silent for a second and he lets out the biggest screech, the loudest screech you've ever heard in your life. He's like, like he's going crazy and he just jets. He runs away. He's gone. (laughs) Disappeared. And everyone's like quiet for a second. And I'm like, and everyone just goes crazy. Like they just uproared, man. It was the craziest thing Imperial Nebraska has ever seen in their lives. Uh, There might be a plaque for us there. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen my friends since that day, but uh, man, praise God. He went out well. I'm just kidding. I love him. He's my best man at our wedding. So uh, he's doing well. That's it. But this morning in John chapter 1, 19 through 34, we're going to, to see Jesus' MC. Okay? Not the main act, not the big show, but the man that is getting everyone else hyped for the real show. Uh, see, the best MCs deflect the glory and the praise to the one they're introducing. And, uh, and we're going to see how John the Baptist does that so well for Jesus. Okay, uh, so you're tracking with me. Verse 19 starts and says, this is the testimony of John. Now, not to be mistaken with John the Apostle. Okay, so in this, in this story, in John, we're going to see two Johns. One is John the Apostle, and he was one of Jesus' disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and he's the one that wrote this book. Okay, so that's John the Apostle. And then there's John the Baptist, and that's who we're talking about today. Okay, so Mark chapter 1 uh, tells us, uh, explains who John the Baptist is. And it says that he had a ministry of repentance. Okay, so all he was doing, he was running around telling people that they're sinners, they've fallen short, they're not living up to the standard. He's telling them to turn away from their sin and turn to God. So like you're not walking from, you're not walking away from a John the Baptist sermon and thinking, I just feel really good about myself right now. Like, you're just not doing it. You, that's, not the, that's not the sermon you listen to to feel good about yourself. You're thinking, so a couple things need to change. I'm convicted. So that's John the Baptist's ministry of repentance. He had an unswerving commitment to that. Now, John was also clothed in camel hair, and he had a big belt, leather belt around his belly, around his waist. Uh, it, Mark also tells us that he only ate honey and locusts. Okay, let me just stop and tell you that this guy is on a whole nother level of righteousness. Okay, I don't even compare to him. 
I like Old Navy, and I like PacSun, and I like H&M, and I like my Levi's, and I like my boots, okay? So I'm not interested in wearing the, the camel hair, all right? John was doing that. And also, Lord, you know I like Chipotle burritos. I'm not trying to change it up for honey. Oh, we got, a, we got some Cadoba fans in the crowd right here. Uh, <laughs> GMOs. Okay, so anyways, we're trying to get political here. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, John the Baptist... He's giving up Chipotle burritos for honey and locusts, okay? I'm not about that game right now, all right? Now, let me just be clear about this. John the Baptist's righteousness wasn't in what he wore or what he ate, but in his posture towards God, okay? So listen, this morning, God's not interested in you changing your wardrobe or your diet. He's interested in changing your heart, okay? Tracking with me, that's what he is showing. That's what John shows us, and John has a humble heart before Jesus, okay? So... Um, And then later on in Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus says about John the Baptist, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. How's that for an endorsement? Like you're going around bragging that you got best hair in high school? Okay, it's a little different than getting Juanita Palisade, like I got best hair in your yearbook. Okay, this is a little different. This is Jesus saying this is the most righteous man ever. So I don't know what you're bragging about, but this is something a little bit different. Okay, it's on a whole nother level. And I think John is the real deal. And if Jesus says this man is the most righteous man, then us as a church and us as believers should gather around and say, I want to learn from him. We should hone in this morning and see what is it about John's commitment to Jesus and his love for him. Amen. So that's where we're going. Point number one this morning, it's not about me. Point number one, it's not about me. Okay, look at verse 19 with me. It says, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Okay, so John has a big, growing ministry, and the Jewish leaders are wondering who he is and what's going on, right? John's been growing big crowds. He's been baptizing people. He's been getting a lot of followers, and people are asking, man, what's up with this guy? Like, what, what's so special about you? What, what, what are you doing? So they come to him and ask, who are you? Who are you? I want to pause, and I want to ask that question of you. Who are you? Right? Like, and, and just imagine it. You're— ha- You've been having success, right? Your Twitter followers are blowing up. You're getting a ton of likes on Facebook. Uh, You're getting promoted higher and higher and higher. And someone comes to you and says, who are you? How do you respond? I think most of us or some of us in the room would probably respond by showing our resume. Saying, man, I worked hard. I got, I made my way here. I did it. I worked hard. I got here. This is how I moved towards this. We'd start to show our successes and our accomplishments, but that's not how John answers the question at all. Let's look at verses 20 and 21 to find his answer. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So he starts off, and says, uh, I'm not the Christ. Now, Christ means Messiah, which is the, the promised one, the anointed one, uh, the promised redeemer of the world. So these people knew their Bibles, which were just the Old Testaments. So they knew that there was a, God had promised a Messiah or a chosen one to actually redeem his people from their sin and from death. And so they're thinking, man, you're gathering big crowds. You're doing a lot of things. You must be John, or you must be the Christ. John just goes, hey, let me just like stop you before you get anywhere. I'm not the Christ. I'm not that big of a deal. 
Okay, so he says, just so you know, I'm not the Christ. And then they ask, well, then if you're not the Christ, well, then you're probably Elijah, right? Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. He's a character, and he shows up in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah doesn't actually die. He just kind of gets swept up into heaven, right? And um, in Malachi 4, it's the last chapter of your Old Testament, uh, verse 5 says this about John. It's a, or I mean, sorry, about Elijah. It's the prophecy about him. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. See, these Jews would have known this promise, and the next thought was, okay, if you're not the Messiah, then you've got to be Elijah. And John responds, I'm not him. Now, side note, in Matthew eleven fifteen, Jesus actually says that John was the Elijah who was to come. Okay, now does that mean that John was Elijah? Like, does that mean that there'll be a John the Baptist in heaven and an Elijah, or are they the same person? Well, I believe that Scripture's clear that John the Baptist was like Elijah, but not Elijah himself. Okay, this isn't like a reincarnation kind of idea. John was born of a man and a woman who lived in Jesus' time on earth. He didn't come back as Elijah on a fiery chariot or chariot or whatever uh, as a full-grown man. He came uh, as, a, as a baby, grew up, and went through. And Jesus would also affirm that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he wasn't the literal, physical Elijah that the Jews were expecting. So it's kind of weird, right? There's some tension because John says, I'm not the Elijah, but then Jesus says he is. So scholars believe, one, uh, John didn't understand the extent of his ministry. So he's basically saying, I don't, I mean, he's saying, I'm not a big deal. I, I don't want to put any label on it. I don't think I'm that. He didn't realize the scope of how God would use him. Okay, that's one. The other option to kind of reconcile this is that John was just downplaying his ministry. He's saying, look guys, I don't want to put titles on it. I'm not that big of a deal. Don't, I don't want to be called Elijah. I just want us to look to Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of the, I know that's kind of heady and confusing, but that's John and Elijah. He says, I'm not Elijah. So you're not the Christ, not Elijah. They ask, well, then are you the prophet? This is mentioning back to Deuteronomy 18, uh, where God promises a new prophet. And John, again, just says, no, I'm not him. And in verse 22, you can kind of, you can almost hear their frustration in their voice, right? So they say, so they said to him, verse 22, uh, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, um, he's consistently, these men are trying to define him, put a label on him, and he's consistently deferring it and saying, no, this isn't who I am. And so they get fed up and they say, well, then who are you? Tell me about yourself. And listen, this is really unique because John doesn't even say his name, right? He doesn't say, well, I'm Austin. I do this. He doesn't go, hey, I'm John. Uh, my dad is Zechariah. He's a priest. My mom's Elizabeth. She's really sweet, sweet, makes great meatloaf. Like he doesn't go into that. He doesn't say, oh, I got a ton of followers on Twitter. I've been having this huge ministry. I've been baptizing this many people. He doesn't go through stats. He doesn't say, check out my LinkedIn profile, Facebook, Twitter. He doesn't say, check my Snapchats out. They're hilarious. Doesn't say, listen to my podcast. Doesn't say, check out my website. When they're asking him, who are you? Here's how he responds in verse 23. John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's, you want to know who I am? I'm just a voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. Now he was quoting a prophecy in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. And when he would say, when he says, make straight the way of the Lord, what that means is that in ancient times, when a king would go somewhere, he'd have to prepare to do it. So he'd actually send a road construction crew in front of him. 
all right? This road construction crew would make sure the king had a straight path to his destination. So you see a mountain, it gets taken down. You see a valley, it gets filled up. You see a rock, it gets moved. Also, the, path, the king could make a straight path to his destination. So there's this road uh, construction crew, right? That he's, so he's referring back to that. He's saying, all I am is a construction worker telling everyone else to prepare the way. That's all I am. You're trying to make me a big deal, trying to give me some praise. All I'm saying is I'm saying prepare the way for the king. So John is saying, man, the king is coming, and all I am is a voice. Mo last week taught us in John 1, verse 1, that Jesus is the word, right? And then now we see that that John the Baptist is the voice pointing to the word, telling about the word. So there's this, you get to see this coming together. And so listen, John is saying, I'm not the point. I'm just pointing to the point, right? He's saying, I'm not the substance. I'm just the sign pointing to the substance, okay? I'm not the word, but let my words point to the word, okay? I'm not the main act. I'm not the big show. I'm just the MC pointing people to the real deal, okay? That's what John is doing, and it's extremely humble. He's saying, man, I'm not a big deal, okay? But the Jews respond in verses 24 and 25. They say, okay, if you're not Christ, and if you're not Elijah, and if you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing people? And here's John's response in verse 26 and 27. He says, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, in this culture, a disciple or a student would help serve their uh, rabbi or their teacher, okay? So you get, you got a disciple, you got a student, he helps serve you. Um, They would help and do menial tasks, but a disciple wouldn't really ever untie the strap of his teacher's sandal, okay? It was considered too low of a task. So people in this day didn't have nice cars or sweet minivans, Mo. Uh, they didn't have, uh, and so they were, they were walking by foot or they were having open-toed shoes, okay? Open-toed sandals. And they didn't have sweet hipster boots, Isaac. And so uh, what they would do is they, they would, they, I mean, you get open-toed shoes or barefoot, you get animals poop. The only thing it leads to is dirty feet, right? So their feet were very dirty. That's just what the culture was. And they would collect all this grime and you'd have to, I mean, their feet would be dirty. Um, and so a disciple would never untie the sandal. The only person that would do that would be a slave or a servant. It was, the, it was arguably the lowest task somebody could do is to untie the strap of your sandal. John's saying, look, you guys think I'm a big deal. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest task to the one that's coming. That's how big he is. That's how great he is. That's how high he is. And that's how low I am. Like, I'm not that big of a deal. It's not about me. John's saying that. Look, clearly understand I'm not a big deal. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal of the one coming. Now, in this day, uh, the people that were baptized were primarily Gentiles that wanted to adopt the Jewish faith, okay? So Jews wouldn't normally get baptized, uh, and uh, so they, you know, the people that would, Gentiles converting over to Judaism, but John was baptizing Jews, telling them, look, you're not okay. There's sin in your life. You need to clean it. You need to repent. You need to change. John has this unswerving humility about him. He says, man, I baptize with water, but it's just to point to the one that's much greater than me. John doesn't have a big ego. He's constantly and humbly deflecting praise, glory, and honor to Jesus. It's beautiful. In City Light, I want us to be like John. I really want us to be like John. I'm going to be used by God, but I'm not God. I'm going to point to the Savior, but I'm not him. 
Would we be people that serve joyfully and humbly? Now, John Piper is a pastor and theologian I respect a ton. Mo and I listen to him, have learned from him, and he wrote a book called Desiring God. It's amazing. If you haven't read it, check it out. He wrote it 30 years ago this last week. It just released 30 years ago. And so John opens up his journal from 30 years ago, and he reads what he had wrote that day. He received his first copy. And on his knees, trembling, he pleaded with God, and he said, I would rather die than let the successes of glory the success or glory of this book go to me. Guard me, God, and keep me from exalting myself or becoming proud. I'd rather die than be proud over what you have worked through me. Friends, one of the greatest tests of our character isn't just in our trials, but I think even more so in our triumphs, in our victories, right? Like, um, uh, who are we? How do we respond when we succeed? How does victory shape us? Who are we? What do we think about when things go well, money's in the bank, and everyone's healthy? And I have to confess, man, this is one of my biggest struggles. I'm a 24-year-old lead pastor of a growing, thriving, young church plant. And every time I enter the room with other pastors, I'm the youngest guy in the room and the most inexperienced. And every time I enter in, I feel this sinful pressure to justify myself and prove myself, right? I want them to know why I'm here. I want them to think I know my Bible. I want them to think I'm awesome. And it's completely sinful. And then last week, we publicly launched as a church, and God brings over 700 people to worship with us. Isn't that amazing? But you know what my sin wants to do with that? Pat myself on the back. Good job, Austin. You did it. You passed your church with 700 people. Wow, man, your friends would be impressed. It's extremely prideful and sinful. In the success of this church, I have sinned by defining myself by how many people come on a Sunday morning, and I want to say I'm sorry. I've sinned against you, and when I operate out of that sin, I think of you as more of a number than a name. It's extremely sinful, and I'm sorry. And this is exactly what John is fighting against. He's saying, no, man, I'm not a big deal. This people, this church, this, this, this gathering isn't about me. It's about Jesus. He's the point. I'm not the point. And as I wrote this sermon, man, I had to get on my knees, pray, confess, and repent to God for how I've sinned against you guys. And so church, hear me say this. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Thank you. And I want to commit to doing everything I can to constantly strive to point to Jesus and his fame and his glory and his goodness because this church isn't about me or Mo or even this building. It's about Jesus. Amen? Would we be a church that makes him famous and we're in the right place? Would he increase and would we decrease? But for you this morning, church, one of the most beautiful things that you can realize is that you're not that big of a deal. Yes, you're amazing, and you're beautiful, and you're awesome, but you're not the main point. Man, John doesn't justify himself with how many Facebook likes he can get or followers he has. He doesn't justify his existence by how many square footage his home has, or how nicely decorated it is, or how it's remodeled so well. He's not waiting for people to affirm his existence and tell him he's awesome. Man, when we think that we're the biggest deal, we don't love people. 
we use people. When we think we're the biggest deal, we don't honor God. We honor ourselves, right? We're trying to exalt ourselves. Man, you know the song by Aloe Black, I'm the man? You can tell everybody. Kids, don't listen to it. But anyways, uh, man, I feel like that song, that song is the epitome of our culture, right? Hey, you go, you tell everybody you know, I'm awesome. I am doing great. I have this figured out. I'm killing it at this thing we call life. Go and tell everybody, I'm the man. But listen, the Christian life is the exact opposite of that song. We don't sing, I'm the man. We sing, he's the man. Amen? We don't sing, I'm the hero. We sing, he's the hero. He's the greater one. He's the main point. I'm not. I'm just a voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just an MC pointing to Jesus. In church, the world will tell you to make a name for yourself. They will unendingly make a name for yourself. Get a nice resume. But if we get this right and know that we're not the biggest deal, I promise you there will be joy and freedom. You'll finally be free to celebrate others' victories and not be envious of it. You'll finally be free uh, to love other people and not use people. You'll finally be free to give Jesus all the glory and the fame because he's the only one that deserves it. If we understand our right place before God, he's the hero. I'm just the MC. Amen? That's what John the Baptist got, and I want us, church, to understand that. So point number one, it's not about me. Never has been, never will be. It's not about me. Point number two, my last point, is that it's all about Jesus. Simple, clear, but extremely profound. It's all about Jesus. Look at verse 29. It gets good, y'all. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The message of the entire Bible can be summed up by those, four, four, by those five words, Behold, the Lamb of God. The question of the Old Testament is, where is the lamb? That's what everyone was at. Where is the lamb? Man, this is the next day after John was questioned on who he was, and he's got some people surrounding him. He stops, points to Jesus, and says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And man, Jews in this time would have known what the lamb of God meant. They would have thought of Genesis 22, where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac was a miracle child, uh, just a completely gift of God. And God says, hey, I want you to go sacrifice him. And so they go. Abraham obeys God, goes to sacrifice him. And Isaac, the inquisitive, curious boy that he is, says, hey, dad, uh, I see the fire. I see the altar. I see the knife. But where's the lamb? And in Genesis 22, verse 8, Abraham assures his son, God will provide a lamb. Not beautiful? God says, man, God will provide a lamb. And so right before Abraham obediently goes to kill his own son because of what God told him to do, God stops him, lifts up his eyes, and he sees a ram in the thicket. That ram was God's lamb that he provided to be sacrificed. And they killed that ram, that lamb, instead of having to kill his own son. Do you see that? They sacrificed the lamb that God provided rather than sacrificing his own son. 
And then the people would think of Exodus 12 and the Passover. So there's disease and plagues going through Egypt and there's all this mess and destruction. And God says, hey, I want you to kill a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb and take its blood and put it over your doorpost. And if you would hide underneath that blood, nothing special about you, but if you hide underneath that blood, the angel of death will pass over you. And they did it and everyone that hid underneath it was spared of death. And then when they hear Lamb of God, they would think of Isaiah 53, verse 7, the sacrificial lamb, where it says, like a lamb led to be slaughtered. And this lamb would be, uh, would be killed so that we could have life. We would have peace through its death. Our iniquities would be laid on it. That would be what that sacrificial lamb does. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John points to a man. Jesus says, behold, this is the Lamb of God. How profound would that have been as they think through Exodus and Genesis and Isaiah and all these things pointing to the sacrificial lamb. And he's saying, this man, he's the Lamb of God. All of these other lambs were brought by men to men, but this lamb, the Lamb of God, was brought from God to men. All these other lambs couldn't take away sin, but this lamb could. All the other lambs were killed for Israel and Israel alone, but this lamb would be killed for the world, that whoever believes in him and bows a knee to him would have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And church, hear me when I say this. Every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's perfect. We've all sinned, fallen short. We do wrong things and we do right things for the wrong reasons. And for that, the penalty of our sin is death. Our sin requires death. Church, we need a lamb. We need a sacrifice to die on our behalf. Otherwise, we're done. There's no hope. And John is telling us that Jesus is the lamb of God that was slain, that he would take the sin away from us. Do you see it? Jesus is the ram in the thicket that was killed so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus is the Passover lamb that by his blood we can hide underneath it and have life and be spared. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that was punished for our sins so that we might have life and have it abundantly. That's who Jesus is. John saying, man, this is the king I've been talking about. This is him, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in verses 30 to 31, John saying, man, I baptize people so that Jesus would be revealed. Essentially what he's saying is I can tell people to repent and turn away, but only Jesus can save them from their sins. See, God used John as a diagnosis to tell people they aren't okay, but that they're sick, but God used Jesus, the Lamb of God, to cure them of that sickness, which is sin. And that's all we are, friends. We're just a mouthpiece that God uses to say, you're sick and there's hope here in the blood of the Lamb. That's who we are. That's our message. I'm just a voice crying out. And John finishes with verses 32 and 34. Read together. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, John baptized Jesus, and there's been speculation by theologians of why that would happen. Uh, Jesus was perfect. He didn't need to be cleansed of any sin. Um, but, uh, but when they would baptize, what it was picturing 
was a death as you would go under the water, a burial, and a resurrection as you would be cleansed, you would die, and then be raised. That's what it was picturing. So as John baptizes Jesus, they're showing Jesus' baptism as he would die the sacrificial lamb, be buried, the sacrificial lamb, be buried and be rose again as the victorious king to make all righteousness, to be all righteousness for us and be the sacrificial lamb that would pay for our sins. That's what he's showing us in the baptism of Jesus. Church, it's always been about Jesus. It always will be. It always has been. You see in Revelation 5, they sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And I think a lot of Christians today live out of a WWJD lifestyle, right? What would Jesus do? And so you're walking through your day, you're thinking through, man, you see something sinful and something righteous, and you think, man, what would Jesus do? And that's a good question. I pray you ask that of yourself. But I think the more important question and the question I want us to be consumed by is not WWJD, but WHJD. What has Jesus done? To be a Christian is to behold, to look at, to fix your eyes on what Jesus has done for you. He's saying, no, don't focus on what you can do for me. Focus on what I've done for you. And let me tell you, church, your identity cannot be in what you do for Jesus. It will fail, and that's a horrible resume. Your identity has to be caught up and completely defined by what Jesus has done for you. Amen? That's our boast. Galatians 6, 14, Paul writes, Far be it from me to ever boast in anything except the cross of Christ. Say, man, that's my only hope. That'll be the only song I sing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I want us to be people like John. To humble ourselves, never take the glory and point everything we do to Jesus. I want us to make him famous. I want us to shout it from the mountaintops. Behold, the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. And let's be honest, man. The people in your neighborhood, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, they don't need better living tips and better advice. They need good news. And we have the good news. We can say, behold, the Lamb of God was killed for you. The Son of God came to earth in flesh, came and died for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You can do nothing for it. But what you can do is respond to it by placing your faith in Jesus. That's all we've got. That we've got the best message in the world and far be it from us to ever keep it to ourselves. What do we proclaim, man? There's good news. So I want to ask, church, are we going to be a church that thinks we're the main act? Are we going to be a church full of broken MCs pointing to the fame, glory, and goodness of Jesus? Are we going to be a church that chants, Jesus, 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 and gets everyone else excited for him and his goodness? We should see the achievements in our life be Jesus' achievements. When you graduate, college students, when you graduate and you got your friends and family gathered around you, Lift him up. Say, I don't know how it happened. I don't deserve this. He worked with me. He walked with me through it. And it's purely by his grace that I get to stand here and graduate today. Friends, when you get married and you're giving that toast in front of everybody else, you got two options. You can exalt yourself, say, I pursued her hard. I did a really good job, man. Look what I've done. Or you can say, look what Jesus has done. This is his grace, man, that he would provide such a beautiful friend and a best friend for me to spend my life with. I, he pursued me. He gave his grace to me, and this is what it is. So you have a chance. You have a platform, and you can either lift up yourself or lift up Jesus. You can either be a, 
a bad uh, main act or you can be a great MC. When you get promoted, when you get congratulated, it's all Jesus, man. It's all, it's all him. It's all he's, he's just been so gracious to me consistently. And so I want to ask, are you trusting that God has provided a lamb for you? Are you hiding under the blood of the lamb? It's sufficient, it's good, and it's for you. Or are you trying to make it on your own, be strong enough, be good enough, and I want to tell you flat out you can't do it. You won't be good enough. You can't meet that standard. You can only hide under the blood of the lamb. And so stop trying, start relying. Look, the lamb of God has come. So simply believe, place your faith in what he has done for you. Amen? Let's pray together.